0: You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Well, Josh and Ashley, it is wonderful to have you on Real Faith Stories. Welcome.
1: Thank you so much. We're happy to be here. So excited to be here.
0: I understand you had an amazing encounter with the Lord about five years ago, and he asked you to move to Costa Rica, which was, as you indicated, way out of your comfort zone at the time. And I will definitely want to chat about that in a few minutes. But first, please share a little bit about your backstory and how you two met and about your family.
1: Absolutely. Ashley, I'll I'll start off and then you can remind me of all the things I forget because uh, that will happen. (laughs) that's perfect no we it's funny uh we grew up about a mile apart she was a cheerleader i was the quarterback of the high school football team which sounds really prestigious uh but we were terrible we actually lost our homecoming 69 to zero and it was pretty much my fault that's kind of the (laughs) genesis of our story uh and we were young and wild, and we were boyfriend and girlfriend. I asked her to go to a homecoming dance with me by walking up to her locker, and I slammed my hand against the locker, like trying to be cool. And I'm like, "Hey, how's it going?" You know. Uh, so we started dating in high school. We probably broke up fifty times, you know, in our in our youthful drama. We got married at twenty years old. Uh, Lived in a trailer park. I was a pizza delivery driver. I was probably the most efficient driver in our entire store. You know, I worked hard. I crushed it. I'm making $12, $13 an hour if you include the tips, thinking that I'm uh, this amazing pizza guy. But I wanted to get into entrepreneurship. And while I deliver pizza, I would listen to, to audio, well, actually cassette tapes for people that remember those. And I'd drive around in my Chevy S10 and call my wife on my gigantic cell phone and talk about how I wanted to start a company and how we wanted to have a family. And that was the genesis, though. Uh, we've been married 18 years now, but it all started uh, <laughs> as a football player and cheerleader in high school. Wow. Living the dream. Absolutely. Ashley, did I miss anything? Any important details?
2: No, the only important details is we have five kids. Um, We've built and sold three companies, and now we have some more companies. I think the only thing that got us through entrepreneurship is our walk with the Lord. The thing that's got us through marriage and parenting is our walk with the Lord. And so God has been really present and guiding us and leading us in entrepreneurship, in marriage, and in parenting. And it's been this hard but epic journey.
0: Hard and epic they tend to go together, don't they?
2: Yes, they do.
1: Yeah. Payne is an excellent teacher, right? And we've, ex- we've been taught a lot through that medium, let me tell you.
0: Share a bit about what happened with this experience of moving to Costa Rica. What was the backstory there?
1: I had started a window cleaning company. And it's funny. So my first real business was basically a squeegee with soapy water, and I would clean people's windows residentially on houses. And that's how I left my pizza job. And so I was all stressed out when I wanted to start my company, trying to figure out, I remember sitting Indian style in the living room of our trailer with my wife, with all these handwritten scribbled notes laying all over the, the coffee table thinking, how can I replace my pizza income? How can I make $500 a week cleaning windows? And I was like, it felt like this Mount Everest, which is so silly, but at the time, the weight of that was so real. And I started my company and uh, long story short, it was lots of pain and suffering for a few years. I mean, our electricity shut off, a car repossessed, overdrafting our bank account, just total lack of understanding, lack of maturity, lack of knowledge, let alone wisdom. And the business was a nightmare. But slowly, after about two and a half years, we started implementing systems and we started to level up a little bit in our belief systems as well as the business systems and the business started to grow. Uh, you fast forward about Seven or eight years from there, and that company was working. You know, we had 25 full and part time employees cleaning windows. We we're doing $200,000 a month, believe it or not, squeegeeing glass on windows. And that's when one day when I was uh, really praying, I felt like we should move to Costa Rica, which for me is very weird. I'm not a, a hyper spiritual, hear God's voice around every corner under a bush guy. Um, and this was one of the few moments where I. I clearly heard the Lord talk about Costa Rica to me. I told my wife, I said, this is going to sound crazy, but I got this weird feeling that maybe we should move to Costa Rica. And my wife, being a, a homebody and kind of a a very community oriented person had no desire to leave her family, her friends. She was involved in ministry. She had a whole thing going. She's like, are you nuts? We're not moving to Costa Rica. Well, the very next day she had a dream that our family was getting off an airplane and going to San San Jose. And so she woke up the next morning and said, Josh, I think you might be off in the Costa Rica thing. San Jose is in California. She said, I may, I think maybe I had this weird dream. I never have dreams, but I think maybe we're supposed to go to California. And I said, Ashley, San Jose is the capital of Costa Rica. Whoa. And then we both freaked out and we like, what in the world? And I'll let Ashley hop in and fill in more of the details from there. But from my perspective, it was a very strange, totally out of left field thing. I had no desire to move to a third world country at all, let alone one with giant spiders and 95 degrees every day and all that. <laughs> and I, I, I had a business and we had a house and we had kids and, it would be a total radical thing that didn't make any sense to us at the time. Go ahead, Ash.
2: Yeah, It's getting me all teary eyed because I can remember the moments of this happening. I did have a thriving ministry. I was working with a ministry called young life here. And I, I really felt called to love on teenagers and share the gospel with them. And so that was one thing I didn't want to leave when I went to, when we were going to go to Costa Rica. But basically when I started looking into ministry ideas, They had a job opportunity in Costa Rica for Young Life. So the plan was to go to Costa Rica. But before that, we started learning Spanish just kind of in faith because we still had our business. We hadn't sold our business. We didn't know how things were going to happen. We had a house and a business, three little boys. And how would this work? So we just, in faith, we kept on praying, but we kept on moving toward Costa Rica. So we started learning Spanish. So we got a Spanish teacher and the Spanish teacher just happened to live in... Costa Rica, and it wasn't by chance. It just you know he looked for a Spanish teacher, and she just happened to live in Costa Rica. But then things started to fall into place. My husband got an opportunity to sell his business and out of the blue. It wasn't for sale, and a guy from California called and said, "I want to buy your business." And we were like, "Yep, this is it." So we went and visited Costa Rica with our kids, and found out there that we were pregnant with our daughter. And so our daughter was actually ended up being born at we visited, and then. Later, when we moved, our daughter was born in Costa Rica. So we actually have a Costa Rican citizen that lives in our household in the United States now. She's a dual citizen. But that was a really hard time, but a really exciting time because we knew that God was with us.
0: When you got this thought to move to Costa Rica, Josh, and then Ashley, you get this dream. Was it the next night, right?
2: Yes, it was the next night. And I was. it was like so vivid that you knew it was from the Lord. It wasn't like just a bad pizza dream. It was like, <laughs> it was very clear. Um, it felt like, it just really felt inspired. And I thought I was going to San Jose, California. I just didn't know that San Jose was the capital of Costa Rica.
0: Did you reach out to anybody to confirm what you were sensing? Did you have people around you that you were talking with about this? How did you process this?
1: From my perspective, it was it was hard to process it because I can tell you, In our circle of friends, at least at that time, we were the biggest dreamers slash thinkers around. Right? People thought we were crazy. My own mother, who whom I love and who is amazing, she wouldn't talk to me for a week when I started my uh, my cleaning company because she thought, you know, that's what homeless people do—is clean windows, right? So they were terrified. They didn't want us to leave. They thought it was nuts. So if if anything, people were trying to talk us out of it. But we know that we're called to do something bigger, and for whatever reason, both of us have a fire to just do hard things, to think bigger. And so I guess part of us was open to the idea of of doing some adventure, but we certainly were not seeking this out at all. Uh, we wanted to build companies and do ministry and create cool things and inspire people and coach and lead. And we had like general ideas, but Costa Rica wasn't on that list. So we didn't, we did not have someone to say, can we get confirmation other than I would say my wife's parents who are strong believers as well. And they were very supportive through the whole whole process as well. The confirmation for us was the fact that we got an unsolicited offer to buy our business. We got an unsolicited offer to sell our house. The business wasn't for sale. The guy that bought it overpaid for it. And he flew across the country and practically begged me to sell it to him. And this is a weird business to sell for for a significant amount of money. And the way everything lined up, was absolutely impossible. It was an impossibility that it was coincidence. I'm a logical brain guy, but uh, it was thing after thing after thing after thing, even even to the Spanish teacher, like I said, who is a on fire born again, Christian in the middle of Costa Rica, teaching us gringos, Spanish, everything lined up in a way that was with zero effort on our part.
0: So how did this guy who bought your business even find out about you?
1: Well, actually it was through a friend of a friend type of thing. And what's weird is this guy, he was buying window cleaning companies all over the country as fast as he could. He had a deep pocket and he had his reasons on why he was doing that. And because of a mutual acquaintance, the guy just called me one day. And then that led to digging into financials and due diligence in, in the process of selling a company, which I had never done before.
0: And just to give context, Josh, you guys are in Michigan, right? That's correct. Yeah. So some guy from California finds out about you through a friend of a friend. You dig into financials. He flies out and he buys your window cleaning business. Incredible.
1: Not only that, but he invested six figures into the next (laughs) company that I was starting, which was another miracle. Wow. So, you know, there's lots of details and nuance, and I don't want to necessarily get in the weeds on that unless you want to. But the way that this played out was absolutely and completely remarkable. I will tell you another prophetic thing that happened a couple years before all of this happened. You know, I lovingly refer to people who maybe operate in the prophetic or or, are really dialed in with the relationship with the Lord. I lovingly refer to people like that as bug eaters. (laughs) It's it's like, you know how those Christians that are so weird, it's almost awkward to hang out with them or go in public with them because they're going to start like, laying hands on every stranger and you're like, Oh my gosh, like I'm not built like you. Well, there's a bug eater that went to our, our church in Michigan and I didn't really know him. Well, this guy, one day I'm driving one of my work trucks down the road and he's hanging out the window of his truck pointing for me to pull over. And I don't really know. I pull over, he gets out, he lays hands on my work truck, craze over it. And he says, the Lord told me to tell you that he's going to bless you. Your businesses are going to explode. And he said all these amazing, great things. And I'm sitting there like, thanks. Like, that's amazing. But I'm. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah, he's just one of those bug eater guys. You know, like in the Old Testament, the prophet would walk to town and everyone would run away screaming because they're like, oh no, the crazy guy is here. That's what it felt like to me. And then not very long after that, this series of events started to unfold.
0: What I'm fascinated by is the fact that the gentleman who bought your window cleaning business also made an investment in the new business you were going to start in Costa Rica. What was that business?
1: Well, the new business was actually launched, and so it wasn't started in Costa Rica. It was a software company, which I still own to this day. Um, It does millions in revenue. We have a CEO. I don't work in that business day-to-day anymore now. But at the time, it was an idea on a napkin. And the software business is a much more complex beast than a, than a home service company. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but we needed a lot more capital to launch that business. And this guy ended up providing a lot of that capital to launch that entire company. And if you knew me, a guy who went to community college for five minutes, right, an ambitious entrepreneur, but with no credentials, no Harvard MBA, no anything for me in a window cleaning business, which is the least prestigious type of business I can think of offhand, for that to happen, for a sophisticated investor who's using private equity money to not only buy my company, but to invest in this harebrained software idea that I had. The improbability of that is outrageous. Mm-hmm. But looking backwards, it was step by step, piece by piece, just order of events. Now, the next part of the story, which I think the listeners will love to hear, my wife would love to tell, is the fact that when we got to Costa Rica, absolutely nothing we thought was going to happen, happened. The reason we thought we were there, made it, it didn't manifest. It made no sense. It caused massive confusion because when we got down there, it felt like uh, just a whole lot of pain and suffering and getting beat up for for almost two years. And when we ended up coming back to Michigan, it was like, what in the heck was that all about? You know, like everything lined up. We're supposed to go. And we had these ideas, these assumptions on why. And it turned out to be totally different.
0: What happened in Costa Rica?
1: I'll I'll let Ashley kind of explain maybe what we thought was going to happen versus what happened, what it felt like at the time, but then how now we can see that it lined up like a glove. It was perfect.
2: Oh my goodness. I would love to tell this story. I hope I don't cry. I'm sorry. I am a crier, but I don't usually cry on podcasts, but this is really getting me in the feels, just so you know. (laughs) I guess we should also say that one thing that we had been praying for a long time is that we would become a spectacle. Now, I will have to tell you with a pre-warning before you pray about a spectacle, we should have been a little bit more specific because being a spectacle can be very painful at times. Um, It doesn't always have good things. It also has hard things. So we moved to Costa Rica. We thought, you know, we were going to move there. He's still going to work on this business and I'm going to start a ministry and we're just going to, flourish in the jungle. I think that's what we imagined. It was all going to be easy because God called us there. So it's going to be easy. And that is further from the truth. I ended up having a baby in Costa Rica and it was actually a very traumatic experience. Um, Not. It was just because it was a hard delivery, which then spiraled me into postpartum depression. We had gotten a dog because that was something we had promised for our kids and our dog had died. We were the the next day, we were the first people to triage a drunk driving accident and trying to process all of that with a newborn baby in a foreign country. And everybody is speaking Spanish, and my Spanish isn't, like, that great. They're pulling bodies out of a rolled-over um It was actually an ambulance. It was a Red Cross vehicle and they're pulling bodies out of it. And I'm just scared Mm -hmm. for my life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, postpartum depression can sometimes make that manifest even more. And um, it was really painful. It was a really painful and dark time for me, which puts a lot of hardship on your children and your husband. Mm -hmm. Um, but they handled it with such grace. Um, but I was really, I was felt like I was drowning in Costa Rica. Like I was treading water and not making it. But I always say my husband went on a rescue mission, just kind of like how Jesus goes on a rescue mission and he did everything possible to help systemize my postpartum depression and get us back to where we were. But with all of the hardship. That we went through in costa rica we got robbed our minibus got stolen like it, you know the list goes on and on of the the really bad things our son almost died by a coconut like because coconuts actually kill a lot of people which is a really weird thing but like you know just all these fears i had poisonous snakes i killed scorpions every day i killed tarantulas i we had chikungunya and dengue and we had all these weird illnesses and mm. all of these things But we came out of it so much stronger. In the midst of my darkest hours, the Lord was with me. Also, the absolute fruit that came out of that season, my husband started a podcast. He started another company. We moved to a new place that we love, and we've had events. And we've just had so many blessings come out of our time in Costa Rica, even though it was literally the hardest time of my life. I'm a stronger person. My husband's a stronger person. Person, our family's stronger, we're more well knitted together, we trust the Lord more. Like there's so many blessings that came out of that.
0: During all of these trials that you were hearing the Lord speak to each of you, what was he saying as you cried out to him?
1: For me, it was uh, obedience. You know, I'm I'm a naturally rebellious entrepreneur personality type kind of guy. And I want to even be careful on this podcast to really make sure that uh, we don't come across as this shiny, christian couple. Oh, we trust the Lord. We went to coast. Look at how sweet that is. That is not the case at all. We've had all kinds of things, you know. It, and one of the things that bothers me about christian content is how polished everything is. And that's just not reality. The reality is is that it's messy, that it's screwed up that there's disobedience, that there's all kinds of stuff. I've struggled with addiction. I've struggled with my weight. I've struggled with financial mismanagement. We've almost been bankrupted multiple times. We've almost lost everything. We've almost been divorced over the years. We've had all kinds of pain and suffering. And for me, I think the big lesson that I learned in Costa Rica was that if I were to fall into sin, if I was getting disobedient, the, the lesson I learned down there was to turn around and punch Satan in the the metaphorical chin instantly, rather than feel so bad about myself and say, Oh, I'm such a naughty boy. Look how bad I am. It was more about fighting. It was about offense instead of playing defense all the time. Hmm. It was this beautiful, imperfect, messy, totally screwed up version of uh, obedience to the best that I could at the time. And that was a breakthrough for me because I was raised with this understanding that God had a big stick. And when I'd say a naughty word, he'd hit me on the head with the stick. And if I'd look at pornography, he'd hit me on the head with the stick. And if I'd get drunk, he'd hit me on the head with the stick, right? Mm -hmm. When the truth is, is that biblical masculinity is aggressive and messy and dirty and imperfect. And the blood of Christ, the whole point of it is to account for that. It doesn't justify sin, right? Mm-hmm. But so as we're going through all this stuff, I started to have a better theological understanding and walk personal walk with the Lord, realizing that God looked at me like I looked at my son Maverick. God looked at me like I looked at my son Tucker and Sawyer, that when they when they screw up, he kind of rubs some dirt in it and give them a nogi and say, knock it off, do it this way next time. Payne's an excellent teacher, right? <laughs> yeah. So, that was kind of my takeaway of it. If anything, I got more confident, more aggressive on the business side because I was always so scared that I would be a, a naughty boy and God would be mad at me or I had to uphold some sort of image, like some book cover at Walmart or some Joel Olstein book that, oh, you know, I just gonna take it to the Lord and all that. And that just wasn't my experience. And I hope that that resonates with somebody listening to this.
0: Well, it resonates with me. I appreciate that. What I would like to know is you said you learned obedience and to instantly turn and hit Satan on the chin, so to speak. What was it you did? How did you do that?
1: Instantaneous, non-emotional based, immediate repentance. While you're in the pit of the thing that you're doing. So rather than you fall... And then you hide for a week or two, and then you gradually read your Bible again and say, well, Lord, please forgive me. Rather than that passive, limp, pathetic, really, way of doing it, which doesn't make sense, I took more of a what I would envision a King David approach, right? Mm-hmm. King David was a screwed up man's man who loved the Lord. I mean, he danced to the Lord until his clothes fell off, but he also did a whole bunch of horrible things. <laughs> He did horrible things and he loved the Lord. And how do you reconcile that? And one doesn't justify the other, but I don't know if that makes sense. But I don't envision if I was sitting around with King David and we're hanging out in modern times and some of my buddies and my entrepreneur friends were hanging out, I I really don't think that King David would sit there and talk about his feelings for three hours and cry on my shoulder. I just don't think that. Part of me almost envisions him as like, having a cigar and talking about how great God is and talking about all the conquests and the and the mistakes he made and coaching and leading and and I know that'll offend some people, but for me in a practical sense, when I would sin, I would say that's unacceptable. I repent. That's what turning around and punched Satan in the mouth. Mm-hmm. So he's not gonna double dip and me falling. Double right. dipping meaning I fall plus I feel like crap and I'm useless to my family and to the to the kingdom mm-hmm. for a month. Because yeah. I did something stupid.
0: So you shook off the shame and just moved on. Exactly. Yeah. So Ashley, during the same time, how is the Lord speaking to you? What are you hearing even in the midst of all that you're going through?
2: Well, it's interesting that he says that he hit Satan in the mouth. You know, I had a different experience in Costa Rica. And I literally think that before Costa Rica, I had everything planned out. I was, it was very, American Christianity, you know, squeaky clean. But we got down and dirty in Costa Rica in like, we got really real with the Lord. And I would say that mine was a little bit different where I just had to trust Him. Um, it was trust. I don't know if I trusted God as much as i I do now because of Costa Rica. And it wasn't like I had this great six month plan what I was going to do. I originally went down there with a huge plan of what I wanted to do, but it mm-hmm. was more of a daily bread. Like I survived today. Thank you, Jesus, kind of, kind of mentality and how he was there in my darkest moments. But it was more of a day by day, moment by moment, I need you. It was not cute. It was a lot of crying, even a lot of anger. And if you knew me, I'm not a very angry person. I'm very, uh, and I think it also gave me empathy and compassion for people who battle depression on a daily basis because I had never, I don't even know before postpartum depression if I even had a down day compared to what that was. It was really dark. I want to say that God was like this bright light and shining me through, but it wasn't. It was like a little teeny pinhole of light where I just kind of grabbed onto that and had to trust, just moment by moment. It was not cute. I said a lot of cuss words. I always say, Costa Rica made me cuss because <laughs> I wasn't a cusser before, but like God was there with me in that moment and literally got me through. Yeah. It was not cute for my husband. My husband is literally the hero in this. Well, Jesus is a hero, but Jesus was the glue, but he was putting all the pieces together.
1: Yeah.
0: I love that you both are sharing real life. This is what I believe all of us walk through, but we're not necessarily willing To be authentic and vulnerable and share this kind of stuff. This is real and I appreciate you sharing it. What was the impetus for moving back to the States from Costa Rica?
2: It was me. (laughs) It was me. I, I was still falling apart. I was getting better and having days that were better. Like at first, it was every day was bad and then it was every other day was bad and then every three days and every week. And, you know, at one point I wrote my husband a note and I had told him that I basically was going to abandon my family.
1: Mm.
2: because I thought they were better off without me. And um, yeah, I thought they were better off without me. And he was like, oh no, we've got this. We're going to fix this. We came on vacation back to the States and it was like coming up for air. We went for a walk and we call it our journey walk because we were walking our baby and walking in a subdivision. And he pulled out his phone and he said, what do you want to do? we can go anywhere in the world. I feel like the Lord has given us permission that we can go anywhere in the world because all of our businesses are online. He said, let's pull up a map. What if we just pointed to here? It was the Trulia app, I think. It was um, the real estate app. And he said, we could live in this house, which is a vacation town that we vacation in. It's three hours from our hometown. He goes we're going to go on a vacation here. We could live at this house. And it was this mm-hmm. castle house. He said, actually, we really could live here. And I looked at the house and I I dreamt of what could be, of what my life would be here in the States. A week later, we toured the house. They had an offer on the house and they were Christian people. Uh, they had a baby that was the same age as our baby named Finley, which is our baby's name Finley. And we really felt like, that fell through the moment we were walking through the house, their offer. They had an offer on the house and it fell through the moment we were walking through the house to, to see it. And my husband put an offer on it. I think, was it a week later, Josh, you put an offer on the house and it was weird because we weren't residents of the country. And it, it was a, cause we were residents of Costa Rica. It was a mess. Maybe Josh could tell you that part.
1: Well, if I could step back for one second, because I don't want to cause confusion to people listening, and we just want to add as much value as possible, any hope, inspiration, clarity, because my ministry is business. I believe that business literally is a ministry for some people. I am called to be a giver. My wife and I are called to be radically generous. Now, if you go back to when we lived in the trailer park and I was stressed out trying to figure out how to make $500 a week. I had this mindset limiter that was going to completely disable my ability to step into my mandate that I believe God has given me. The Costa Rica adventure for us, here's, here's how it broke down. The only way you can do big things is if you believe you can do big things. I think we can all agree on that. And Costa Rica was terrifying and stretched us to the max of our faith. Living in Costa Rica stretched us 100x past that. But at the end of it, when we moved back to Michigan, when I felt released that we could do that, what we walked away with was buckets of extra belief. My belief uh, financially, spiritually, everything expanded exponentially. And so what it did is it helped equip both of us to be able to actually begin to do what we're called to do, which would have been previously been impossible. So it was almost like a boot camp, like a two-year boot camp to help me realize the possibilities are endless, that I can think bigger, the market is bigger. I'm a business coach. I've worked with directly with over a thousand business owners and working with Christian business owners is one of the most difficult things ever because they tend to pray about things for a decade. They tend to not take action, but talk about action. They tend to read books about business instead of doing business. And what this experience did for us, even with buying the house, which I'll tell that story, which is another absolutely crazy God thing. Everything just lined up, but I had this different pep in my step. I had a different level of belief as I moved forward to to it. So my wife's falling apart. She writes me this ridiculous letter that she wants to leave. Our family doesn't need me. I essentially rolled my eyes and said, oh, give me a break. You're you're not leaving. You're not going anywhere, sister. And I and she said we're trapped. We're trapped. And and I had this epiphany. I said that's the point. We're not trapped. We have freedom in Christ. We're not trapped. We obeyed to come here, and we've learned all these lessons. God is telling me to go and build and create and win and compete imperfectly, and to turn around and punch Satan and to, and to do stuff like we have permission to quote unquote, move about the cabin. You know what I'm saying? And Christians don't feel like they can just go do things and make imperfect decisions and trust that God will work together all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. That's what I got out of it. And so when I clicked on this house, you know, for us growing up in lower middle-class households, non-entrepreneurial living in our trailer park, getting married, being broke, having our cars repossessed, the whole thing in selling my cute little window cleaning business all of that was stepping stones to helping me have major mindset shifts in what's possible and leveling up my belief. When we went to buy the house, it was another level of that because I couldn't get a mortgage to buy the house. It was a very expensive, beautiful house on 25 acres. It's, it's an unbelievable property. Couldn't get a mortgage because we, I had no income really because I had sold my company a couple years before and we didn't even live in the country. So then I had to figure out how we're going to pay cash for this house which was a tall order, but because I was in a different place mentally and, and my belief was different, I just simply solved the problem. You know, I said, all right, we can do this. We can do that. I'm going to launch this product. We're going to, I'm going to create this. I'm going to go, we're going to host a live event that will generate hundred thousand there. And then we can do this and we could do that. And I made this weird offer to these homeowners and said, Hey, This will be the most unconventional thing you've ever heard, but how about I give you this much down, we sign an option agreement, then I'll pay you this much every 90 days until the house is paid for, and we'll let you stay in the home for a year while you're building your new home. And they agreed to it, which was insane, and it worked out. So I'm at Applebee's eating a steak with this stranger trying to lay out this thing like, yeah, yeah, I'm from Michigan, but we're in Costa Rica, and I want to buy your house in this really weird way that doesn't make sense. What do you think? And he's like, sure. Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) And then that happened. So it's just a series of 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 things in our life that has helped us step into our mandate and our calling.
0: So since you've gotten back from Costa Rica, you moved into the, quote, castle house. What is it that you primarily spend your time doing on a day to day basis?
1: We have five kids and a dog. So there's that. We are homeschooling now. And by we, I mean, my wife does all of it. So I don't do any of it. (laughs) And so that's a whole beast of a thing. We've sold uh, businesses since then as well. And we're launching a new company right now called Honor and Fire. The heart of Honor and Fire is this will be the first time my wife and I have both worked on a business together. We call our roles front stage and backstage. And a lot of business couples can probably relate to this right it's like everyone thinks i'm really cool i get all this credit but the truth is is that 85% of all of our results are the direct result of my wife holding it all together in the in the background and like being a shoulder for me to cry on and encouraging me and being my biggest cheerleader and helping me and calling me out on things and all the things that she never gets credit for going forward with honor and fire she'll be able to actually be more front stage. She's a gifted public speaker. She has a lot of credentials, and she's been raising babies for for 13 years straight. So we're excited about this project.
0: That's great. You've already launched
1: it, correct? We have in a small way. Uh, it's for you know entrepreneurial families. Uh, we're a big believers in what we call family systems. And actually, Ashley, if you want to explain some of our family systems, but from proprietary language to our core values to Latimer of the Month to all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what we're helping families do. Do you want to explain that, Ash?
2: Yeah, I would love to. So something that we do is, and actually kind of was birthed in Costa Rica as well, and maybe a little bit beforehand. When my husband started using systems in his window cleaning company, it worked. We started realizing that we needed some systems in our family. And so my husband was like, what do we have to lose? Because things are not working. It's Sometimes it's a dumpster fire. And If we add systems, maybe it won't be as bad of a dumpster fire. And so we started adding systems. Now, one of our systems that's my absolute favorite has a little bit of a story behind it. I remember when my husband was doing window cleaning and we didn't have very many employees. My son was like three years old. I would be home all day and my son would be like, when's daddy going to get home? When's daddy going to get home? And I didn't know when daddy was going to get home because the business was still a baby. And so he would be out all day long and we'd wait. And at like eight o'clock at night, the, the work truck would roll in and I would be overdone. And, and my son would just be like, oh, I want to see daddy. I want to see daddy. And so my husband, my son needed one-on-one time. And so my genius husband created something called Maverick Monday. Every Monday, Maverick is the VIP of that day. It might be a half hour to an hour and a half where they go take a walk. They go for a bike ride. They play video games. And so as we started having kids, that was their special day. So we have special days, which are Maverick Monday, Tucker Tuesday, Sawyer Sunday, Finley Friday, and Judah May Thursday. I kind of did those out of order. I'm really sorry (laughs) about that, but (laughs) that's kind of how. I love it. So they have a special VIP day. And that really helps them have one-on-one time where they can really have deep conversations and they know that their needs are going to be met. It literally overnight changed the the tone of our, our family and our household. We also believe in proprietary language, like Josh had said. And so we have Sayings or isms that we say as a Latimer. We say Latimers do hard things. In the midst of the suck, we say Latimers do hard things. It helps us push through and do the hard things that God's called us to do. We also say it's not Mount Everest when we're trying to be a victim. You know, mm-hmm. Latimers aren't victims. So we say different code words. We have a Latimer of the month. We have four core values, and the four core values of what it means to be a Latimer every month we vote on Latimer of the month. We have one of those cheesy plaques that they have at like fast food joints that say like employee of the month. We have one of those and we put our kid's picture in it, whoever the Latimer of the month is. It's got little name plates. We celebrate who is representing, not who's perfect, but who is acting upon trying to be a better leader and work ethic and faith and and doing all of our core values that we've that we've established as Latimers we also have our own swag with our own family logo our woodshed even has our family logo because when our kids look back we want them to know what it means to be a Latimer that Latimers do hard things that that Latimers that we have our own family culture so when they look at the world they'll know who they are
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> you know i relate to this because we have eight children and we have a dear friend his name is Greg Gunn he has a ministry called Family ID and he talks about a lot of what you've shared and our saying for a Robinson is you're a Robinson take the lead and whenever something would come up or the kids would ask us what do you think I should do what do you think our response was yeah you're Robinson take, take the, the lead, lead. <laughs> let's go and it has really made an impact on them i could spend hours chatting with both of you and i think Inviting you back again would be awesome if you're open to that. What I'd love to do is a couple things before we finish today. Number one is I'd like you both to share with me, what is the biggest block that you see in your coaching of Christian business owners, Christian people, that's keeping them from fulfilling what they think God has put in their heart to do?
1: I'm rip-roaring. Ash, if you got something, go first, because I'm biting at the bit for this one.
0: (laughs) I bet.
2: I don't know what he's going to say, but I would say fear is a huge one. And I would say not knowing who they are, especially as an entrepreneur spouse, really having an identity crisis. So it's more about them than about their business. (laughs) It's more about them than about their family dynamics. It's more about them than their relationship with the guy. Like, or who they are. They don't know who they are and they're scared. That's what I would say.
1: Okay. I would certainly agree with that. I think one of the core causes uh, specifically of entrepreneurs just taking massive amounts of inaction and letting their life just fade away is people have all kinds of weird, screwed up ideas of money. Money's the root of all evil, right? Versus the love of money is the root of all evil. This isn't about money, but if you're called to be an entrepreneur or if you're called to be a giver, generosity is a spiritual gift. You can't be much of a giver if you don't have resources. So what happens is they sit around praying for a decade that they get more resources when what really needs to happen is they need to learn how to be more resourceful. They don't need the resources. They need resourcefulness. They need a clear understanding that it's okay to walk in your mandate, to walk in your calling, to do your thing. And I don't believe this is for everybody, but for me, it's time to compete and to win and to grow. You know, some of the most narcissistic, ungodly, wicked people build the biggest companies. They have the most assets, they have the most resources because they go take what they want. The marketplace, the free market, Is a pretty simple system. You add value and compete in the free market. And I think Christians think that they get all these special brownie points because they read their Bible for 10 minutes in the morning. And somehow, magically, it's going to create a better company culture. And they're going to understand their profit and loss. And they're going to know what EBITDA means. And it's not going to happen, right? So not that God doesn't intervene and do miracles, but on a general basis, Christians need to stop making excuses. They need to take responsibility for their calling. They need to be proud that they get to participate in the work that God's going to do regardless of them. It's our honor to participate in what God's going to do anyway. It's my privilege to be able to build wealth and give away wealth. Our life goal is to give away $100 million to widows, orphans, and Christian ministries. Just because that's, I can't not have that my goal. That eats me inside. It's a fire that burns. I can't do that unless I become a high level CEO, unless I understand sales and marketing and persuasion and copy and all of the things. And so people think that thinking about something is the same as doing something Mm -hmm. and it's not. That's a big part of it. And then, like I said, originally, it's the weird feeling that they get once they get resources, they'll self-sabotage it. If you're a person that's never had more than $5,000 to your name, it's extremely uncomfortable if you have $50,000 in your checking account. If you're a person that's you know never had more than $100,000 net worth, it's extremely uncomfortable when you have a million dollars net worth. And so people are self-sabotaging, their belief level's too low, all the wires get crossed. And you know one of my missions is to help tell the truth on stuff like that and help equip other business owners to get off their butt and to go <laughs> fight back and play some offense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, appreciate you both sharing those thoughts. What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you guys and find out more about what you're doing?
1: Probably a handwritten letter. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can go to honorandfire.com, and you can get you know on our email list if you want to f- stay up with what we're doing. If you want to connect with us directly, you can find us on Facebook just google our names my wife has a unique spelling to her name ashley it's a s h l e e so there's two e's and you'll find her because not a lot of people are named ashley with that spelling latimer and then if you search her friends you'll find me joshua latimer
0: okay let's finish up by having you pray for our listeners please
1: absolutely ashley do you want me to do that yes because
2: i just feel like you're on fire
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh so, yes, do. okay father god We humble ourselves before you in all of our ungodly pride and ignorance. Lord, we just ask that you move in our lives to equip us to fulfill the mandates that you've laid before us. I ask God that you put a fire in the belly of every single man listening to this podcast to take action, to move about the cabin. Lord, you said in your word that if we commit our plans to you, that you will establish them. And I recognize, God, that we have to do the first two of those three steps, God. We have to commit to something, not talk about it. We have to have a plan, Lord, not just fantasize about it, and that you are promising us that you will establish our plans if we commit them and we have a plan, Lord. And I just... I claim victory for everybody listening to this in whatever mandate they have. I claim that we can start imperfectly moving forward and not be burdened down by shame. I ask, Lord, that you give us just a spiritual fire uh, to play offense instead of defense, God. I pray for our nation. I pray for all of the spiritual attacks on our children, and we come against that in the name of Jesus. I ask that you loose warring angels to just guard the homes of Christian business people and everybody listening to this podcast, that we can have confidence and not live in fear and be passive, Lord, that we can go out and take ground and whatever that means for everybody listening. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you both so much for being on the program today. It was great to talk with you.
1: It's an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Hey,
0: everyone. Thanks for listening.